0: (laughs) Thanks, BT. Hey, good morning, friends, both here and also online. Glad you guys are here. Happy New Year again. Um, This is a great way to be able to start the new year. I love the idea that we are here on Sunday morning and that the year starts together in the presence of our King, and if you're like me, I, I do the same thing that we've been talking about, right? Like, I like to use this as an opportunity to kind of look not only back, but to also look forward, to be able to say, you know, there's, I'm probably going to look different in 12 months. One of the things I love telling people about being in Christ is that something should change, right? Like, if you're like, if, you're like, if I say, tell me a transformation story, tell me, tell me about something that has changed in your life, that the spirit of God has reached in, taken a hold of and changed. If the last transformation story you tell me was from 30 years ago, that's a problem, right? I gave my life to Jesus in college. That's awesome. How old are you? 62. Okay, but, right? So like, I love the idea of looking forward and saying, Abba, what are you gonna do this year? What? What am I going to look like 12 months from now? I mean, I look back and I think, I look really different than I did. I mean, not just physically, but like I, I, I learned stuff. I changed. I grew. I hurt. I cried. I learned to love better. Like, I, like what are you going to do next? And so I love that we get a chance to kind of talk about that now as we are working through this series called Exiles. Since we began it in September, so whether you are new this morning to Trinity Church or whether you've been tracking all along the way, we're going to pick up with that series. We're going to continue it forward. And here's a couple of things that you should note. So some of these might be reminders if you've already been here for a while. They might be new to you, but let me just tell you kind of where we are. 1st remember that we are working our way through the New Testament book of Titus as a way of teasing out these ideas of what it is like for us as followers of Jesus to live in our current day. Now, Titus is a book that's part of what are called the pastoral letters. If you're a New Testament scholar, you refer to the books of First and 2 Timothy and Titus as the pastoral letters. They are letters that were written by the Apostle Paul, and they are interesting for a couple of reasons. First, they are written to people who were seeking to pastor churches. So they're almost, like, they're almost like a master class, if you would. So it's like Paul didn't write the pastoral letters to people in churches. He wrote them to the people that were leading churches, right? The other thing that's interesting is, is that with the exception of the book of Philemon, the pastoral letters are the only New Testament letters written to an individual by the Apostle Paul. All the other letters were written to congregations. So when we talk about Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, those letters were written to groups of people. They were intended to be read to churches, but the pastoral letters are written to individuals. And this particular letter was written to a man named Titus. Most people think, depending on your perspective of Paul's journeys and ministry, most people would say that Titus was written between 52 and 56 A.D. or between 63 and 66 A.D., And what we know about Titus was that he was seeking to lead either one or multiple churches on the island of Crete in the first century. And as Pastor Marvin told us at the beginning of this series, here's what we know about Crete. We know that people regularly said this about people from Crete. They are liars. They are evil beasts. They are lazy gluttons. So Crete was not known for being this bastion of moral rectitude. Don't you love that word? Rectitude, right? Anyway, it was not known for that. And we also note that for the last several weeks, we've been walking through the first few verses of Titus chapter one, and that is specifically addressed to people called elders or overseers. These are people that were seeking to lead the local church or the local churches in Crete. Remember that elders are a godly men who are tasked specifically with the purpose of discerning and deciding matters that relate to the leadership of a local church. And by the way, here at Trinity Church, we have those as well. And if you're like, well, who are they? Well, we would love it if you would know who we are and you would pray for us. You can go to wearetrinity.com forward slash leadership hyphen at hyphen trinity And you can see the list and photographs of people that are our elders. We'd, We'd love for you to be praying for our elders as we seek to hear and respond to the Spirit of God as we seek to lead and serve the body of Trinity Church. Also, remember that for the first few verses there, as Paul is talking to Titus about elders, what he's specifically talking about first is what they should not be. And you might also remember that for the last several weeks, we've talked specifically about the fact that these are not just written only to elders. These are just good principles for any of us who are claiming to follow Jesus together. So even though this section is written about elders, it's really for all of us, right? And so what we learn in those first few verses is things that we are not supposed to look like. We are not. Supposed to be overbearing, quick-tempered, given to drunkenness or violence, as Pastor Marvin mentioned. Nor should we be people who pursue dishonest gain, like Dave Maxey reminded us. And then that brings us again here to verse 8 in chapter 1. And here's what's interesting. There's a pivot point. So we've been talking about the stuff that elders and we as followers of Jesus should not be. And then Paul does this thing where he says, but. Or if you're reading in the NIV, he says, rather. So there's a shift in the action. Here's all the stuff that you should not be, but rather, you should be these things. So we go from stuff we're not supposed to do to stuff that we are supposed to look like, and we're going to pick that up right here again. We're going to start in verse 7 so you can kind of see the flow. We're going to read through verse 9, and this is what it says. For an overseer, an elder, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Check it. But hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. You see that shift so over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to actually change gears from things we're not supposed to look like to things that we are. And the first thing we're going to talk about today is what is meant by the word hospitable. I don't know what you think of when you think of hospitality, someone who is hospitable. I mean, it'd probably be interesting to take kind of a straw poll and to say like, well, what, is, what does that even mean? Is that like people who have other people over to dinner? Is it like people who visit people in the hospital? I mean, I'm not not really sure what that means, but I think it's like a lot of things. I think we know it when we see it, right? Uh, I I have a a friend in South Bend, Indiana. She was one of the first people that I met who truly had a gift of hospitality. And you know, I knew it when I saw it. We went in, there was preparation, preparation. She was welcoming and warm. We immediately felt like we were part of her family. She served an amazing meal that we still talk about even today. She loved us and cared for us. Then she and her family sat with us. When we left, we felt blessed just for having been there. And it was like, Barb has got the gift of hospitality. But but if it's that kind of thing that only a few people have, why would the Apostle Paul tell us that we're supposed to be that? The answer is because you may or may not have the gift of hospitality, but no one's off the hook for exhibiting it, right? You don't get to say, I'm sorry, that's just not my gift, right? I mean, we're supposed to all be this way. We can all do it in varying degrees, but we're gonna talk a little bit today about what it means to be hospitable. And the thing is, is I will tell you, if you are part of Trinity Church, we talk about it because it is literally baked in to the statement of vision that we talk about all the time. When you say here at Trinity Church, how do you know what it looks like when we win at being disciples who make disciples? When we, when we tell you that our mission is to glorify God and make disciples by awakening people to full life with Christ, and you say, okay, cool, that sounds all nice and everything, but how do you know what it looks like when you win? We would say this, look, we know what it looks like to win when by 2025, we envision 3,000 men, women, students, and children experiencing spiritual transformation— Thriving an authentic community and extending biblical hospitality. The joy of this everyday adventure ripples across mid-Michigan and around the world. Do you see that? We have said that here, being a disciple of Jesus is about following Jesus, being transformed by Jesus, and joining Jesus on mission. But here at Trinity Church, one of the most simple and profound ways that we would say we engage the mission of Jesus is through the concept of biblical hospitality, and that's what we're going to talk about today. You see, it's not just any kind of hospitality. There's a very specific kind of hospitality we would like to exhibit and reflect and embody as a people, and we call it biblical hospitality. It is the idea of using our homes, our lives, and our resources not as fortresses and castles where we hoard God's blessing for ourselves or flee to them in order to escape the world around us, but as a missional outposts for the kingdom of the living God. That's how we use our homes, our lives, and our resources. And the best news is, is it doesn't just involve what we do when we go out from those outposts into the world around us, but also what we bring into them, embrace in them, bless in them, provide, protect in them. See, the idea of biblical hospitality is this sort of engine of going out and bringing back and going out and bringing back and sending out and bringing back. It is this kind of engine of mission. And we think that in many, many ways, it really is the simplest way to change the world. In fact, there's a book by that title, Um, It's going to be in the resource uh, brochure that you have in your notes. It's downloadable online. Our resource center is closed today because it's New Year's Day, but we'll have copies of it if you'd like. It's a super thin little book. It's by um, Dustin Willis and Brandon Clements, and it's literally called The Simplest Way to Change the World. But here at Trinity Church, we believe that one of the most missional things that we can do, one of the most missional things we can do is leverage our own homes and our own families and our own safe spaces for the glory of God in ways that invite the world into our lives and offers to join people in theirs. That's what biblical hospitality looks like. And we're gonna unpack that a little bit today. But to start that, I'd like to talk about the biblical foundation for this idea. Because again, as I mentioned, we're talking about hospitality, but it's not just like anybody's view of hospitality. There's a very specific biblical view of hospitality. And what we're going to talk about, for starters, is the biblical concept of oikos. I'm not talking about the yogurt. You like yogurt. Okay, like, like, it's like, oh, not, like, you'll be able to go to the store now and be like, oh, that's what that means, right? So the biblical word oikos, or oikos, um, literally means household, And there's two ways that you can think of this word, and then I'm going to show you where it shows up in Scripture and why it matters so much. There are two ways that you could think about the word oikos in terms of household. First, in the New Testament, the word oikos literally means house, like structure, like bricks and mortar or thatch or whatever it was that you lived in at the time. It is the physical structure. If you were to say, where's your house? I'm probably going to say, well, here's my address in East Lansing. That's where my family and I live. But, there was also an implied relational element to the word oikos, which wasn't just about the structure, it was about the lives, the relationships, and the networks that were represented therein. Any of my friends here, Dune fans, Frank Herbert, science fiction classic, anybody read Dune? Anybody seen the movie? All right, okay, cool. So, like, here's the thing. This movie and this book kind of tease this idea out. There are what are called the Great Houses, right? So you have House Atreides, you have House Harkonnen, and here's the thing. What you learn is, is that's not just a physical structure. That is literally everybody who is connected to the structure, It is an entire network of relationships and connection points, and this person knows that person because they married this person, and I mean, like, that is this sort of idea of this interwoven, interrooted, interconnected set of relationships. That was oikos. It wasn't just, where's your physical structure? It was, who are the people that reside there, and what are all of the networks of connections that they have? That was oikos in a relational way. And so as a result, it's important that we note that this same thing occurs in scripture. For example, in Luke 19, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, if you guys remember, Zacchaeus was a little guy and he got up in a tree because he wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus comes and he says like, hey, you got to come down from there. I'm going to have lunch at your house. So Zacchaeus like freaks out in a good way, rushes home, invites Jesus, and then he tells Jesus like, hey, I love this. I, I tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make restitution. If I've cheated anybody, I'm going to do this. And if I've stolen anything, I'm going to do this. And then Jesus looks at him and he says, Today, salvation has come to this house. Now, he didn't just mean today salvation has come to this structure of bricks and thatch. What he meant was salvation has come to these people and the network of relationships within it. Salvation has come to these people, this household, this oikos. That is the word that is used. Similarly, in Acts 5.42, it says of the early church, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Did you catch that? The word there for house Is oikos. They didn't just literally go from physical structure to physical structure, but from network of relationships to network of relationships. You see, brothers and sisters, here in the West, I think we get trapped in our medieval European idea that a church is a building with gatherings, with clergy, with services, with programs. It's not. The church is the relationships and the people. When you say, where do you go to church? I like when people say, oh, Jack, where do you go to church? I literally like looking and saying, I am the church. Right? The church is wherever I happen to be present. It's wherever you happen to be present. Oh, did you mean what building do I go to when the church gathers to be able to submit and sacrifice ourselves to the spirit of the living God? Oh, yeah, that's on 3355 Dunkel Road. But if you're talking about where do I go to church, you're looking at it right? And so as a result, when we read about the early church and we read that it went house to house, it is this idea that it went oikos to oikos. It went meal to meal, relationship to relationship, household to household, network to network. The wildfire grassroots movement of the gospel spread through the early church Because it went house to house. It was a beautiful thing. It went oikos to oikos. They shared meals and spaces and time and resources. And that's how the gospel spread firstest and and fastest. Right? He who wins gets there the fastest with the mostest. Right? That's how the gospel spread. Fastest and mostest. And yes, our ancient brothers and sisters did actually gather together. And they did gather together in the temple. We, we read about this in Acts 2, 42 through 47. But it also says that they broke bread in their homes. I, I think it's crazy how often we like to take limited parts of that verse. We love the parts about they gathered and they dedicated themselves to the worship and to the, the teaching of the apostles. yes. Then they sold everything and put it at the disciples' feet and took care of one another as each had need. No. Right? But that's what the text says, friends. They cared for each other house to house. And really, those two things are the same, those two sides of the same coin for us. See, mission should be communal and communal should be missional. We go out we reach out into the dark places dark centers of the world around us and then we bring them in we don't just bring them here we bring them in to our safe spaces where we can care for them and love them and protect them and then we release them and we send them and then we bring them and then we care for them and pro- like it should be this idea that we do this as a community we do it as individuals it is both missional and communal at the same time it is this engine by which the gospel spreads. I tell you what, guys, like it's hard for us to even invite somebody to come to church, much less to our home, right? I mean, I'm tired, man. At the end of the week, long week, food's expensive. I'm gonna have to cook, probably have to clean. I'm gonna miss my Sunday afternoon nap. Then the people that I invited, they're gonna know where I live. What happens if they come back? (laughs) right? It really does seem like just too much for us, but here's the thing, brothers and sisters. If we are honest and authentic about what the pages of Scripture say, there is an expectation for hospitality written all throughout the pages of Scripture from the First Testament through all the way to the New Testament, And I love how the writer of Hebrews says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by so doing, some of you have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. That's pretty cool. Fine, Jack. Fine. But here's the thing. I'm not going to walk out into the middle of downtown Lansing and go, hey, who wants to have dinner at my place tonight? Right? I mean, it's got to look different in our modern day. And, And here's the thing. It does. It totally does. It looks different in our day. But I think the main thing we should be able to realize is, is nobody's off the hook just because it looks different. It might look different in your context, but you don't just get to say, I don't have to do it. And so here's the thing. I've got a buddy and I know you already know him, but one thing you may not know about him is, is he is one of the best people that I know about in practicing practically what it looks like to express and demonstrate biblical hospitality. So I asked him if he would help me with this time. I'm going to ask him to come up on stage. You guys know BT? BT? <laughs> hey, you get messed up before I even start talking again. Man. I know, dude, sorry. Shoot. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to pour tea, Thanks, talk about this in a little bit. What you may not know about BT is, is that he has a high value for hospitality in his family and practices it in some really extraordinary ways. And so I, I just want to be able to show what it looks like with skin on. So we're just going to talk about some things. Like, here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to ask BT some questions. Uh, BT is going to be able to answer. We're going to talk about some common concerns, questions, and objections people have to expressing or experiencing biblical hospitality. And then we're also going to talk about some really practical ways of just taking a next step toward it. Okay, so BT, um, thanks for doing this, by the way. (laughs) So, yeah. So, okay, why and when... Did hospitality become an important concept for you? Yeah, I think even,
1: even growing up, like, my parents would always have people at our house. Like, our house was, like, the safe house for my friends to come to. It helped that we had a pool, so, like, I made a lot of friends that way. Yeah, right? Uh, yeah, but, like, they just always had people there, like, crashing on the couches and, like, just being part, being part of the house.
0: Yeah. So as an adult, why or when did you and Amanda say, this is going to be important to us. It's going to be something we're going to continue forward. Like, why didn't yeah. you just say, that was fun. Uh, we're closing the doors. We're not ever having anybody over. Like, yeah. what, what made you want to extend that as I an adult? Like
1: just, uh, just like the openness to having relationships like that and, and being connected with people and having them over, like, we really enjoy that. It's a lot, it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. So um, what does it look like now? In your home, your family, like what does a given week look like um, yeah. in terms of how you invite other people into the safe space of your home yeah. and your life? So currently uh, we, have our,
1: we have our home group that meets regularly, like that, that's a big part of it. Like we've and, that,
0: got, and that's a group of followers of Jesus that are connected yeah. here at
1: Trinity. Yeah, from here at Trinity it's like 20-ish people that connects and we hang out uh, every, every other week. We have uh, one, of my, one of my best buddies is going through some stuff right now and needs somewhere to lo- wash his laundry. So he comes over on the weekend, washes his laundry at my house. We have dinner and hang out. Like, that usually happens on Sunday and sabotages my, my afternoon Your nap. Your nap? Yeah. Not today, though. I'm taking a nap today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we have a, a travel nurse that Amanda works with. She lives, like, two and a half hours away from Lansing. And works 12-hour shifts, so usually like two or three nights of the week she crashes at our house and uh, has dinner and breakfast with our family and, and hangs out with us. Yeah, you guys, you
0: had a group of people over last night. We did. Yeah. Yeah, into this morning. Yeah, so. I know, right? Yeah. That's why you're going to need a nap That's today. Why That's why right. a nap is yeah. in order. All right, so I'm going to let you guys in. So BT, like what he's just described sounds pretty normal, but BT has some kind of extreme expressions of hospitality. And I just want to ask, so BT, like what did you guys do last year that would probably be <laughs> extreme by most American so standards? So
1: we, coming out, of, uh, coming out of the COVID lockdown, we decided... We want to have a lot of people at our house. And why? We we just went through this whole year of like not really having anyone over. Right. Uh, I remember like it was 46 days straight before I even left the house one time. (laughs) Like it was a mess. You all know, like, you know what that was like. So we decided uh, in 2021, we wanted to have 500 people at our house. All at one time. All, Yep, just get it all done. <laughs> get it all done in one shot. Yeah, next. So, I'm just going yeah. to
0: run you guys through. Just run through the front, out the back. Yeah, no.
1: So yeah. What, was, what was cool about it is like I created an Excel spreadsheet. So I was able to say, and it kind of helped with COVID stuff. Dude. Yeah, you had me someone, an Excel spreadsheet, dude. I did, man. Yeah. But like if someone came over, I knew like what day they were there. I knew who else was there and was able to say like, hey, someone was sick when you were at my house or, or whatever. So like, your goal
0: was to have to host... 500 people yeah. over the course of a year so in your home. So you,
1: you came to my house seven times that year, so you counted towards the total seven times. Yeah, so
0: it wasn't 500 unique individual right. people, right? Yeah. But it was 500 people that you would say, we hosted them, and that could have meant what? Like, you, yeah. you fixed so a we, meal? We or we you... decided that,
1: like, there had to be some sort of shared experience is what we
0: called it. So we set the bar kind of low,
1: but it was high enough to say, like, the Amazon driver did not count for that when he stopped by my right. house twice a yeah. day. Yeah, right, right, okay. Like... There had to be a shared experience of like we're playing a game together or we're eating or we're having a having a coffee or a tea together like there's something like that that had to happen and what was cool is we we saw people like if I invited someone for the first time to come to my house there's a high likelihood that they would come back when I invited them again.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So, like, once people got over that initial threshold of coming over, mm-hmm. then it felt a little bit more natural, and they were less reluctant to come a second time. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So, so, did you actually accomplish the goal? Yes, we hosted
1: 538 people. Yeah. Years, so. Yeah. That's
0: amazing. And, that, and then after that, you just said, "Never mind. Yeah, we're not hosting anybody ever again. We're done. We did now. 500 like, in a year. We're done."
1: Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna do it this this past year but I hit
0: the goal before like spring was up and was like, uh, we got this. I don't think yeah, I need to. right? Help. So would yeah. you say that like something that was set out initially as like a really significant goal has really kind of prompted it just becoming more of a lifestyle yeah. that you just sort of internally do? For sure. Yeah, I'm curious, like if you're like me, the first thing that comes through my head is, is man, that sounds expensive. <laughs> like what changes would you have to make financially, time-wise, like yeah. you're gonna make choices. Like, if you're gonna host, that many people, you're choosing to do that over other things that you are not going to choose to do. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, like, what did you guys have to do to make space or to prioritize or like what, what values shifted sure. as you were I doing
1: that? I think the biggest shift was probably a uh, time cost and not so much a money cost. Like we eventually learned, like, hey, I don't need to have a huge uh, three-course spread for everyone that comes over. You can come over and have you can come over and have tea and crackers. Like we learned pretty quick, like I don't have to have a lot of food every time. Sometimes we did, and sometimes we did like big extravagant breakfasts and stuff. But it was more the the cost of time because over the course of a, a week, we might have one day when people didn't come to our house, and like that became very taxing for my wife, who's not uh, as extroverted as I am. We had to have some conversations about like how how do we do this and like still have time for you to like come home and, and chill and rest and not feel like you're on 24 seven when you get out of work and then come home and have. Yeah, I think that's household. really important.
0: Like, let me just stop for a second. Like you, you might be tempted like I am to just say, well, BT's is just an extreme extrovert and I'm not. And, and yeah. like granted, like the goal on the backside of this time is not to say everybody go home and host 500 people this year. Cause like if it was me in my house, we would just die. Right, we would just be like I don't know. like we got yeah. we got to 50 and we just died, right? A be like but that that's not the goal. The goal isn't to say go host 500. I think the thing would be to see that um, what BT did was made shifts in his values in order to be able to make space to accommodate the value and that he had to have conversations with his wife who has a very stressful job. She's an ER nurse. She is not as much of an extreme extrovert as BT is. And so they had to figure out kind of what worked and what balanced yeah. between them. Is that, I mean, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, totally, man. Um, yeah. What are some things that you found are helpful values wise yeah. um, that you've either increased in your own life or maybe even changes that you've seen in other people's lives as a so, result?
1: I think, like for for our own life, like when it, even to go back to the the last point, like there's an element of, man, I gotta cook for my family anyways. Yeah, like true. we're gonna do, we're I'm gonna make burgers. It doesn't hurt me to make two more burgers and have that ready. Like we're we're gonna do this hospitality thing as we're as we're going, right, I don't need to necessarily set special time aside. Yeah. So I think that was, a, that was an important learning. I think, too, like, I don't know if the people that came to my house would articulate or say this, but, like, I think they're steps closer to, to Christ because of the connection that we had, because of, like, the openness and the, the feelings of, like, worth and acceptance that we spoke over them. Yeah. Like, I think there's a closerness that they would, would be able to— to feel, maybe not like describe that, but.
0: You've said that a number of times. So like I get the privilege of doing life with BT. And so that concept of worth and acceptance are the things that he regularly articulates as, hey, this is our primary value in hosting people. So I don't care who they are. When they leave, we want them to feel that they have experienced acceptance and that there has been value, an acknowledgement and a celebration of their value. And, and um, there's something, I don't know if you've heard this phrase before, but I think one of the things that BT does really well is it is possible for someone to belong yeah. before they believe. Amen. So like, so like BT has all kinds of people in his home who are far from God, but they leave with a sense that they belong to BT that they belong in his home and that they are valued and accepted in his home long before they may be able to articulate the concept of deep belief, like we talked about in the, in the gospel of John. So they belong with BT before they believe what BT believes. Does that make sense? And like, that's really well done. Like I can testify and I'm a follower of Jesus, but like I can testify that the way that BT warmly opens his home and communicates things like acceptance and worth that people feel comfortable belonging with BT, right? And they, they are taking steps toward Jesus by the way that BT is loving them, and by the way that he is able to embrace them in his household in a way that is long before um, they actually can articulate belief. I think that's really valuable. So BT, let's, let's shift gears for a second. What are some common questions or concerns when people hear about, like, this is just a regular part of your life. Like, what are common uh, questions or concerns that you find that people usually verbalize on the front end of taking steps in that direction?
1: Yeah, I think there's the, the house piece of that, for sure. Like, man, is my house, is my house guest ready? Like, there's definitely a, a part of that where, I, think, I mean, yeah, we, we have lots of conversations like that as we're cleaning like, what level of clean does our house need yeah. to be for this guest versus other people where it's like, oh, just come over, like dishes, dishes are there. And like, yeah, being able to, to address that and say, yeah, I don't, I don't think that matters as much as we think it does. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I think like I would add to that that um, there's a balance, right? Like there's a balance between someone being welcomed into your home and feeling that you were prepared for them, um, that you actually are honoring them. But there's the other extreme where is everything has to be Perfect. Yeah. My kids have to be dressed perfect. They have to behave perfectly. Everything has to be like perfect. Like everything has to be perfect. And neither of those extremes particularly honor the guest or the host. They don't yeah. honor the host because you're projecting something that's hypocrisy actually. Does your house always look that way? No. Yeah right? Does it usually look that way? Maybe. Okay, fine. But like, it's also dishonoring to the guest if it's like, kind, fine, come on over if you want to. There's some leftover moldy cheese in the refrigerator. Help yourself. I mean, like, right, like both of those extremes don't work, but it is possible to be able to actually have a balance between, um, as the late great prophet Ferris Bueller said about his friend Cameron, like, can you imagine what it was like growing up at that guy's house as a baby? It's, it's like a museum. It's very cold, it's very dark, and you're not allowed to touch anything, right? Like, if you project that to your guests, that, that's what they'll receive, and then they'll be like, yeah, it's very beautiful, but I don't really want to go over there. On the same end, if it's just like a complete wreck, right, like, there's probably a balance to be had there. And, and I, I do want to acknowledge one thing for just a moment. It is true that some people do have a unique gift of hospitality, would you, I'm like, well, yeah, I would man. just say, like, yeah. BT has a unique gift of hospitality. If you guys know Suzanne Kriegel, yeah, like, if you know Suzanne Kriegel, if you have dinner with the Kriegels, it is an experience, <laughs> friends. Like you come over and everything is pristinely positioned with you in mind. Like she has placards set at place settings and it's not like by alphabetical. She will literally think through who would be the best person to talk with Jack. I'm gonna put Harry over there because they both have this in common. They probably would enjoy that. It's served on beautiful like heirloom china. The food is exquisite. She started preparing it two days before. I mean like it's just one of those things where you just go like, whoa. And if you can do that, if you have that gift, I was talking to Suzanne about this and like, she was like, do you know, like here at Trinity Church, there are lots of people who have that gift. She just started listing off names, right? And if you have that gift, that is beautiful, friends. It is. But if you don't have that gift, it doesn't let you off the hook. Hmm. Like we don't do that when we have people over at our house. <laughs> like we do order pizza. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Like we'll do Chinese like we, now we've done, like when we've had our life group over, like we've done like French provincial, we had coca vin. we had like cassoulet, we had like, you know what? Like we did that once.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And the next time we did pizza, right? So it's like, so like you, you have to recognize hospitality is scalable, mm. right? And you don't have to have the gift to engage it. But if you have that gift, please utilize it. Our culture is desperately hungry to be able to have an experience in a place where they feel safe, they feel accepted, they feel valued, they feel that they have worth and intentionality. It, it, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing.
1: That's yeah. really good, man. You said something that, uh, that sparked, sparked something for me, like when we were talking about the house being perfect and like my kids being perfect, Yeah. right? Like, I think there's a real real fear of like, letting people see beyond the veil of like, like BT here, right? Like if you come to my house, chances are you're going to see me have to discipline Owen and Autumn. You maybe see me disagree with Amanda about something. And if I don't do that well, like that just shatters this perfect image that you have of me. Yeah. But what's cool about it is like when I do those things well, it it draws you in. It's like, man, I wish I wish my kids and I could disagree like that. I wish like when I got in an argument with my spouse, like, why, why is your marriage different? Like, what is, yeah. what is different about that? So, like, being able to be authentic and show what that really looks like.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think, too, that there's, like, this element of, if you're hearing me this morning, like, it's one of those things where there may be some things that you need to do as a result of this message. But honestly, there may just be some things you need to do the same, the, the same things that you're doing. You just need to do them in a different way. It's like BT said, right? It's like, look, just because, you, just because your kids don't like spend all day levitating in an atmosphere of prayer, right? I mean, like, like if your kids are running around the house, right? And you have to tell them to slow down, that's actually okay. Just do that while other people's kids are running around with them hearing you say that, right? It's totally okay to do the things you're already doing, like cooking meals and sitting around your fireplace or whatever at night. Just do it in a different way. Right. Would you agree with that? Yeah, like,
1: totally, man. I think that's the, that's the fun thing about doing life with people. Like there's been times when people come to my house and they discipline my kids for me. Yeah. And like I get to, I get to discipline their kids sometimes. But like, yeah, being able to, being able to do life at that level together, like yeah. that's really cool.
0: Yeah, and for there to be that sense of mutual comfort and acceptance, right? Yeah. So like that's really good. Um, We're going to shift gears again and talk about some next steps. Like, if you're like, okay, fine, cool, get the concept. But, like, I don't even know where to start. So, like, let's just talk about some pragmatics. Um, So, like, let's talk about food. Yeah. I think,
1: I mean, you hit it, man. Sometimes sometimes it takes a Suzanne Kriegel-level meal. Sometimes it takes a, like, all-day amazing French meal that you make. And sometimes it's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, right? Like, being able to... Yeah, being able to invite people into what life really looks like is cool.
0: Um, is it okay to take someone to dinner instead of bringing them over for yeah, dinner? Yeah,
1: totally, man. Like there, I mean, there's a reality of my house might not be a good place to have people. Like as much as I want it to be an outpost, maybe like my spouse isn't, isn't as open to that. Or, or works or, nights
0: or works, yeah. or like is. Sure. Yeah.
1: And being able to like show hospitality outside your house. Like, Amanda does that super well at, at work. Like, when they're having a stressful night in the ER, like, she regularly orders DoorDash candy and stuff to, to be delivered there. And, like, she hosts her friends doing that and, like, provides sweets and candies for them in the midst of Aww. emergency room chaos.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, like, you guys are familiar with Meal Train. If you have a friend who's, like, they're sick, you can take them a meal, right? Like, right. they may not be able to come to your house, but you can take them one. Um, One thing that you talked about that I really like is the idea of potlucks, um, or not just bringing food, but inviting people into the cooking process. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, even last night, right? Like, we we have tacos in my house for for New Year's Eve. That's how we celebrate. And... uh, when you when you came, like we were making tortilla chips, and I'm like, I just grab one of my buddies and say, Hey, I need you to, to watch this while I get people set up doing other things and
0: there's more than just a logistical reason to that. Like I can yeah. I can attest. Like if you go to BT's house, like he will probably give you a job right? Like, hey, I need for you to wait till this gets to 350 degrees and then flip them and then do this and that. Okay, cool. You're good. You're set. And then he'll move on. But there's more than just a logistical piece to that. There's a, there's another element to it. Yeah. I
1: think it it like, it makes people feel like you need them, right? Like the, the old thing of like, hey, go, go ask your neighbor for sugar. Like it makes people feel needed in that space. And it gives
0: them like honor and validation that they do have a place and a space to be there. Yeah and yeah. then you learn how to make awesome tortilla chips that's for your right. family like totally that's did important last too. night it's like, why man. am I buying these store-bought things, man? This is amazing. So much better. Yeah. yeah. So there's a reason why um, a lot of theologians will talk about what's called a position of powerlessness. And for us as Americans, we like our self-sufficiency, our independence. We don't like the idea of being powerless at all. But do you remember in um, uh, Luke 10:4, Jesus sent his disciples out and he specifically told them not to take certain things. You guys remember that? He said, um, see, I've got it right here. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, um, and greet no one on the road. Why? Because when they would go to a village, they were in a position of powerlessness where they needed someone to be able to reach out and invite them in. So you've heard the old thing about like, like BT mentioned about like, hey, go borrow a cup of sugar. Do that. You know why? Because it, it actually, it's not manipulative. It creates a bond of indebtedness. Yeah. Your neighbor now knows something instinctively. They know that if they need to borrow a cup of sugar, they can come ask you for one, right? So like uh, I was talking with one of our elders, Jonathan Renee. if you guys know Jonathan, he's an amazing guy. Uh, and he was telling me this story in practice, like he was talking about his neighbor and he's been building a relationship with his neighbor and his neighbor's a great guy. And he was like, man, I had to move a couch, And it was too big for my sons because he's got younger sons. He was like, it was too big for my sons. I couldn't do it myself. So I called my neighbor. I was like, hey man, can you come help me move this couch? His neighbor was like, absolutely, I'll be right there. So his neighbor came over, they moved the couch. And then as Jonathan's thanking him, his neighbor actually looked and said, no, thank you. Jonathan's like, what? He's like, no, no, thank you for calling me because now I know that I can call you when I need help. Mm. Right? Boom, relationship established, right? So like, it's a good thing in that respect. Uh, Let's see. Let's talk about fun. Yeah,
1: I think like man, people people love having fun. That's why people come to New Year's Eve parties. That's why like we host Super Bowl parties. Like it's just easy to invite people into that. Like we have friends that. And you have to be uh, really
0: into sports to host a party well, right, BT? I mean, yeah. Neither BT nor I are really super into sports, but we'd love to be able to have people over around it, right? I like watching the commercials. Yeah, there you that's go. That's the fun part. All right.
1: Uh, yeah, like we have, we have friends at Trinity that do outside movie nights in the, in the fall time, like, and their, their old neighbors come and watch a movie with them. Like, yeah. it's just easy to invite people into
0: that. Yeah, that's good. Um, I think one of the important things that I wanted to tease out, too, is the importance of hosting where you are. Um, yeah. So every day, every day here at Trinity, if you have an appointment with me, I do this. So like, I serve tea and chocolate. I do it all day long, every day, right? So like, if you come to my office, I want you to feel that you have been prepared for, that you have had a, a, a good experience where someone has actually sought to bless you. So like, I don't do Lipton tea, friends. Like, this is like, I sound like a drug dealer when I talk about tea, I buy it by the ounce, I have a guy, yeah. <laughs> right? So like, so I mean, like, this is not like Lipton. I mean, like, this is straight up, like, this is a Taiwanese milk oolong tea,
1: It does taste really good. It does though, yeah, Yeah, right?
0: Uh, And I like, this is like good chocolate. Like this isn't like, you know, trick or treat. This is like dove chocolate, right? I mean, like this is the good stuff. So like I, I, that's how, one of the ways I do it. So like if you come to my office, my office is an environment where I am being intentional about hospitality. I want you to feel welcomed. I want you to feel that there is food that there has been provision, that you have had a safe space for us to talk or pray or whatever. And you know what's funny? I, I don't just do this for like, like random people. Like I do this every meeting that I have with our staff. So like you come into my office, there's going to be tea and chocolate. Uh, we, were, we were talking to Katie Kriegel about a way yeah. she does that.
1: Like, so Katie Kriegel has like a full-on personal care kit in her glove box yeah, with her like Tide pens and Kleenexes and like all of these things to like Help keep freshen people up and make them feel comfortable when they when they're in her car.
0: Yeah, she was like, uh, I, it's really hard for her to host in her home because she shares the living expa- the living space. But she was like, I do drive a lot of people around in my car. And she was like, just the other day, someone was like, they were drinking something, they spilled it, and they were like, oh man, do you have a napkin? And she was like, Foomp, and it like flip yeah. flip 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 flip. Yep, I got napkins, I got Tide pens, I got like it was the whole thing. And she was like, they felt so loved and cared for. It reminded me of those old Grey Poupon commercials. You know, where, like people pull up, pardon me, would you have any gray coupons?" But of course, you know, be like, hi, do you have a Tide pen? Thump, yes, I do. But of course, you know, something's like really cool. Like that oh, was a man. unique expression of her being able to express hospitality where she is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anything else you would add just about like pragmatics, easy things for people to remember about man, being hospitable? I don't
1: know. I think it's one where we just have to get out of our heads of like, I'm, I'm nervous to ask people, I'm nervous to ask people over. Yeah. Like there's just an element of like I think I think if you have relationships with people, they wanna have a relationship with you, right? Yeah. Like it's easy to say, Hey, the weather's getting bad and you live far away, like pack a bag and crash on my couch if you need to so you don't have to you don't have to drive home in bad weather. Yeah. It's easy to like put an extra burger on and, and have people
0: over. Like. And one thing to note, by the way, too, is, is um, I think one of the things you'll pick up here is, is that these things happen with people that you are developing a relationship with. You, yeah. It is entirely possible. You might say, hey, man, uh, like I got small kids. I'm not about to just go walking out into the street and just saying to any person walking down the sidewalk, why don't you come into my most sacred space? Why don't you play with my kids? right? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'd be like, yeah. no, no, I understand that. You are building a relationship with these people because you work with them. You play with them. You're like, you building a relationship. There is a reasonable vetting process that you are engaging. But very often, we are just content to leave those relationships in the casual space. We never actually take the next step to invite them into a deeper level of relationship. And so that's just one thing to, to be able to note. Um, I think what we're going to do is we're going to end this time um, with just a little bit of prayer, um, and then we're going to take communion. And we're going to take communion as a as an expression of hospitality. Um, but what I want to do is is before we do before we take communion, what we're going to do is I want to walk you through some prayer. And here's the thing: we're going to pray in three directions. Uh, the first thing we're going to pray about is is just doing something, just operating on the concept that there is something. My, my dad used to say all the time when I was growing up, do something. In retrospect, you may look back and realize that wasn't the best thing to do, or maybe not even the right thing to do, but I did something, right? And so like, I would just say like, as we pray, we are specifically going to ask the Father, what is the do something you are asking me to do? And then uh, we're going to ask you to make a commitment to obeying. So do something, right? So we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Father, what is the do something he's going to ask you to do? And then we're gonna give you just like an opportunity to consider how you're going to obey. Maybe invite someone into that with you. Tell someone you're gonna do it, right? So that you have some accountability. You can send us an email at hello at com just to be able to to kind of let us know what you're doing. And then we'll finish our time together um, taking communion. So let's go to the Father. Just would ask if you'd bow your heads. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, recognizing that the way you do things is often not the way we do things. Sometimes the way you ask us to do things is uncomfortable for us until we move into that space with you. So I just want to acknowledge that in the name of Jesus. Father, I just acknowledge that sometimes this kind of thing is scary. But we are willing to follow you into the spaces and the places of our lives and we are willing to invite others into them. We're willing to go out and we are willing to bring back. Father, we are willing to bless wherever you send us and bless wherever you ask us to bring in. And we desire to provide and protect and to be the agents of your kingdom wherever we are present. And Father, we offer you right now our homes, our sacred spaces, our cars, our offices, our desks, our third spaces like that table we always sit at at Big B or whatever. Father, we offer them to you. We ask you to help us to make them kingdom outposts where you can send us And we can bring others, Father, into a closer relationship with you. And so, Father, I ask for my brothers and my sisters right now Father, what is the next right thing you are asking them to do to take a step toward being hospitable in the world in which you have placed them? Father, who is that one person? Would you show my brothers and sisters their face? How would you ask them to take a step toward caring for, loving, protecting, providing for them? And Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would give us the strength, the conviction, and the courage to obey you. This next week, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, let's thank BT. Amen. Thanks, bro.
1: I'm going to take my tea with Love me. You <laughs> me too, yeah, man.
0: Well, you know, brothers and sisters, as we move into the sacred space of communion to close our time together, I just want to note for a moment That this thing that we do, that we call communion, is really the ultimate expression of hospitality in the universe, and here's why. Because the God of the universe invites us to his table, and he doesn't have to. We had no right to be there. We have rebelled, we have broken faith, we have stepped away, and yet he still says, through the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of my son, you are welcome at my table, and so if you're at home, if you have the elements with you, if you came in this morning, you got bread and wine, and I would just—or it's not wine, it's juice. Don't worry. Um, if you can separate the cups, uh, I would just remind you that this is what we read in Scripture: on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." And brothers and sisters. As we prepare to take the bread, I'm just gonna pray over us really quickly. Father, would you remind us that it is not because of our rights, our merits, or anything that we have done that gives us a right to be at your table as we share and remember the broken body of your son. It is only because of who you are and what you have done. And so Father, we ask that you would search our hearts that you would bring to our minds anything that needs to be confessed or repented of, cleansed. Father, would you restore back to us all that rightfully belongs to us as sons and daughters in your kingdom. And as we take this bread now and we remember the body of Christ broken on our behalf, let us eat, brothers and sisters. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, as we take this cup, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would remind us of the cost of our membership and our place at your table. Apart from your shed blood, we have no place with you. But because of your shed blood, you call us children. We call you Abba. That makes us siblings. We are aware and we are grateful. And we drink this cup in the name of your son, Jesus, as we take the cup together. And now, brothers and sisters, as I ask our elders and our prayer team members to come down front, I just want to remind you, Uh, that if something has resonated with you this morning, or if you just need prayer, maybe you need prayer about a next step, like, hey man, I really need to invite my neighbor over for dinner, but I've lived next to him for 20 years, I don't even know their name, could you pray for me about my courage? Like, we'd love to pray with you about that. I'd also remind you that there's a resource page in your bulletin, it's downloadable online. If you were like, I need some help with this, like, there are some books you could read, Um, there are some class information, like, there's some things you can do, we'd love to walk with you, and help you as you take steps toward biblical hospitality. And I just want to remind you, the Resource Center is closed today, but it will be open next Sunday. If you look at any of those books and you're like, that sounds good, then like, there'll be copies there. You can purchase one, and we'd love to be able to help you. So with that said, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to pray over you, and then we'll be dismissed. Abba, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for my brothers and my sisters at the Herald in the beginning of this new year, And Father, as we go out from here, I pray that you would remind each of us that we are a sent people. Abba, you are sending us out to the places of darkness and despair and difficulty as heralds and bringers of your light and your life, the reign and rule of the risen King. And Father, you are asking us to take hold of what is lost and broken and wounded and corrupted and bedraggled and poverty-stricken and drag it off of the line of fire so that you can heal and restore. And we are honored to not only call you our Father, but to know that you call us your children And so as we go forward from this place, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would give us the eyes of the agents of the kingdom of the living God and that you would protect and provide for us in every way that we need to do all that you've called us to do for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go in peace, brothers and sisters. Happy New Year.